I'm the lead pastor here and uh, excited to teach today, excited to preach and be with you. And so let's just go ahead and get in, into it. Uh, if you have your Bible, you can go Mark 12 or Matthew 22. Uh, we're also going to hit Deuteronomy up, so you can kind of go there. And I'll throw a couple more scriptures at you that uh, we'll just have on the screen so you don't have to turn there. If you, have, uh, if you don't have a Bible, you can grab your phone or your tablet and uh, head over to the YouVersion Bible app, click Event or Live, and that'll get you to all of our notes and all of our scriptures. We are uh, in a series we're just calling Neighboring. And we're talking about how love goes next door. We're talking about the great commandment. And uh, we've been in this series for a few weeks. And uh, I just want you to know that I'm hearing from a lot of you through life groups that you are, uh, many of you are taking this thing seriously, taking this whole neighboring thing seriously and, and reaching out to your neighbors, getting to know people. And so, you know, I, I heard some, one person was talking about how, you know, they, they took a walk just to see if they could see some neighbors <laughs> while they were out. Uh, and then others who have baked bread and others who have done the cookie thing and some others who have invited their neighbors over for dinner that they didn't know them before. They're trying to get to know them now. Uh, still others who have said that they've um, talked to their neighbors to try to figure out their names because they don't know their names and just beginning that relationship and trying to take this seriously, this command to love your neighbor as yourself. And so um, I appreciate that. and It's been good to hear all that God is doing. But this series, Neighboring, uh, is all about this idea that we are called and commanded by God to love our actual neighbor as ourselves. That when Jesus was talking about loving your neighbor as yourself, and the rest of the Bible talks about loving your neighbor as yourself, that it's not cliche-ish, it's not symbolic, it's not metaphorical, it's not some lofty thing, but it's literal that Jesus is going, hey, you live next to some people, love them. Love your neighbor as yourself. And so we're using these two books that I've been talking to you about the last uh, few weeks so you can get them uh, for yourself, but The Neighboring Church and The Art of Neighboring. And so if you want to grab those on Amazon, uh, we're using some content from them. A lot of our content is original, but some of it is from them, from these books. And we'd love for you to study more and learn more about what it means to follow the great commandment um, in your life. And so Jesus, the idea is Jesus is a genius, and he gave us a blueprint to rescue the world. So he gives us the great commission, go and make disciples of all nations, baptize them, teach them to obey my commandments. But then he gives us the great commandment, which is the how. How do we fulfill the great commission in our lives? It's just by loving our neighbor, just by going out to the people that we live next to and talking to them about Jesus, building a relationship uh, with them so that they'll hear us when we talk about spiritual things. And if we did that, uh, we would see our neighborhoods transform for Christ. And, and then we'll come whole communities and cities and nations. It's literal. It's not just talking about when we talk about loving your neighbor as yourself. It's not just talking about across the world, people in great, the greatest need or the guy on the side of the street. It starts with the people you live next to. Love your actual neighbor as yourself. So check out Acts 17, 26. It's just going to be on the screen uh, real quick. Before we get too far into this message, I want to read this passage to you. It says this, and he, God, made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling place. So what this verse says is that God is the one deciding when and where you are, right? 
God is the one deciding when and where you are. God decided the period of your life, the when, and the boundaries of your dwelling place, the where, when and where you live. God has sovereignly, providentially, purposefully placed you next to your neighbors in your neighborhood, in this community, right here. He did that on purpose. Why? Well, look at the next verse. That they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, yet he's not actually far from each one of us. So it's also that you and them can find God, right? Also that you and them can feel your way towards him and find him. You were chosen for your neighbors, for your community. As a follower of Christ, this is what we're supposed to do. Love your neighbor as yourself and make Jesus followers out of them. So every week in this series, we want to come back to this one truth, this foundational truth. Love your actual neighbor as yourself. Take the eight closest houses to yours and begin to walk through and see if you even know names. And then do you know anything else about them? And make strangers into acquaintances with with every neighbor. And then build friendships one at a time. Give the time that God has given you, the energy that God has given you, the stuff God's given you. Give all that to loving your neighbor. Tell your story. Tell tell them what God has done in your life, how he's transformed your life. Don't worry about all the theological questions. Just tell them what he's done in your life. Talk to your spouse, your family. Be intentional and decide. Make a decision, a commitment. We're not going to make excuses. We're not going to say, ah, we just don't have time to love our neighbor as ourselves. We're not going to say, ah, it's just too difficult. I don't think I can really do it. We're we're not going to stop before we start. That's not an option here. This is too big. It's too big. So we've talked about in this message series that this command is literal. And we talked about our motives within loving our neighbor as ourselves. And last week, we talked about excuses. Today, I want to talk to you about rewards. Everybody say rewards. You guys like rewards, right? Like participation trophies? No? Okay. Just maybe not that kind of a reward. But I need to chat with you uh, just about one piece of this before we get too far into rewards. And this is something we haven't really gotten into in this series. And you won't get the whole picture if you don't get this. So, So this neighboring series is based on that command to love your neighbor as yourself. It's called the Great commandment. And and, and it shows up a bunch of times in the Bible, but really love your neighbor as yourself is the second part of this command, right? Love your neighbor as yourself is, is the second part of it. It's the second half of it. Let me show you what I mean. Look at Matthew 22 again. We've looked at this before in this series. The great commandment shows up in, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Uh, but look at Matthew 22, starting in verse 34. It says, But when the Pharisees heard that he, Jesus, had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commands depend all the law and the prophets. So love your neighbor as yourself is part of this thing, but it's the second part, right? 
It's part of it, but it's the second part. First is love God with all of you, heart, soul, mind, strength. And Jesus says everything else hangs on these two commands, right? Everything else hangs not on just the first command and not on just the second command, but everything else hangs on these two commands, on both. Have you ever um, hung a door before? Anybody ever hung a door before? If you've hung a door before, you know that you need at least two hinges to pull that thing off, right? Usually we do three, but you need at least two. Ever tried to hang a door with one hinge? That would be dumb, all right? You need at least two hinges to hang a door for a door to function correctly. That's how this is, too. Loving God is the top hinge, and loving your neighbor is the bottom hinge, They cannot be separated for the door to work. Are you tracking with me? Loving God and loving your neighbor cannot be separated. This isn't just a good idea or a a suggestion. Sometimes my kids don't get that what I'm saying is not a suggestion. Do your kids do that? Sometimes my kids just don't get that. Like I'm like, hey, honey, will you go clean your room, please? And she's like, ah, I'm going to finish this book first. I'm going to finish this show first. I'm gonna, I'll do that later. And then I'm like, I say what you said to your kids. I wasn't really asking, right? Have you ever said that? I wasn't really asking. Let me rephrase. Go clean your room. Go now. Go clean your room. Eat your broccoli. Do I have to? Yeah, I thought that was kind of inherent in the way I said that. Eat your broccoli. It's not a suggestion. It's a command. You have to do it, right? You have to do it. Sometimes you and I can take the commands of Jesus as suggestions for good living. Like, if you do this, you'll have a good life. Things will go good for you. But really, it's kind of up to you. You can kind of pick and choose what you do. But if you do this, it'll be better. Like, we can kind of pick and choose what we obey in the Bible and, and still call ourselves Christians. Because we just... In our culture, we just love love, don't we? And we just love love. We're all about it. We'll say it's all about love. It's, it's not about whether you follow what the Bible says or not. It's just about love. Yeah, Jesus loves you and you love Jesus, right? Of course. That's all you need. You don't need to worry about the Bible. No need to read the Bible or fret over the fact that what you're supporting, how you're living, what you're saying is totally contrary to the scriptures in a very black and white way. Love. That's all you need. After all, some of the greatest theologians to ever walk the planet said that. The Beatles. <laughs> Love is all you need. It's an easy way to do this whole Jesus follower thing. And it would be great if it weren't for the Bible, right? I mean, we could really follow the Beatles theology if it wasn't for the scriptures, just that tiny little thing. Because Jesus said very clearly in John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. This isn't Jesus saying, hey, if you think about it, you might want to do what I'm saying. 
Hey, if you got time, then that'd be great. This is just one of your options. No, that's not what this is. Jesus is going, it is all about love, but love has action attached to it. Love is not just a feeling or an emotion. It's action. If you love me, Jesus says, you will keep my commandments. Full stop. End of sentence. No qualifications or caveats. If you love Jesus, you'll keep his commandments. Following the great commandment is the proof that we are in Christ. Following the great commandment is the proof that we are in Christ. Now, let me take just a side here. It's not even in my notes. It's the proof that we are in Christ. It's not the way you get into Christ. Are you tracking with me? So it's not, it's not like you got to do something and, and love your neighbor as yourself and prove something before Jesus will let you in. That would go, go against the idea of grace, right? Grace means unmerited favor. It means that you don't deserve it and you can't earn it, right? So this is it. I'm not saying that you got to follow the great commandment and then Jesus will let you in to heaven. That's not what I'm talking about. Salvation isn't contingent on some action or some behavior. Are you tracking with me so far? But this is also true. Once you've given your life to Christ, once you've accepted the grace of God, and you've become what the Bible calls a new creation, then you will 100% of the time live differently than you did before you accepted grace. Do you agree with that? And so in that way, loving God with our whole lives and loving our neighbor as ourselves is proof that we are in Christ. It's a natural byproduct of a heart that's been changed for God. Are you with me so far? So you can't misunderstand what I'm saying and say that you have to work your way into heaven. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a byproduct. And and this goes back to 1 John 4.20 also, which I reference a lot. The Apostle John said there that that if that if you can't love the people who are around you, whom you can see then that proves that you can't love God whom you can't see, right? Have you ever read that before? 1 John 4, um, that's extra credit. You can check it out this week on your own. Love God with everything and love your neighbor. Two hinges on a door. If you want the door of your life to work right, you're going to need both. You're going to need both. But let's talk about love for a second because I think most of us would say, I love God, right? Jesus said, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. I love God. I love Jesus. Like, of course I do. But what does that really mean? I mean, it sounds good, but what does it mean? We use that word so much, it means different things. Like, I love autumn. I love that song. I love pumpkin spice lattes. I love tacos. I love for him to shut up. I wish he would shut up. I, love, I would love for him to shut up. I love you. In our culture... When we say, I love you, we either mean, I like you a lot, I'm physically attracted to you, or I love you, I I like you because you somehow benefit me, right? You give me some benefit in my life, and therefore, I'm grateful for it, so I love you, which really just means I love me, right? It It just means I love me. And a lot of times, love is really just a feeling to us. When we think about God, we have these fuzzy feelings. We think about Jesus and we smile and we feel happiness or peace or whatever. And 
we say we must love him. That's a feeling. We love him. He, he's done these great things for us, Jesus has. And so, yeah, I feel grateful and, and I love him. It's a fuzzy feeling. But is that what the great commandment is about? A feeling? Like I said, it shows up in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But in the Mark version, we get a little bit more, and I think it's, it's there that we'll find the answer to this. Look at Mark 12 with me. In Matthew and, and in Luke, um, it's, it's love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. But in the Mark version, we, we see a little bit more. Jesus says something a little bit more, and, it, and it's here, I think, that we can find our our answers. And so he has been asked, what is the greatest commandment? Just like in Matthew 22. And he says this in Mark 12, starting in uh, verse 29. He says, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So he starts off by saying, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That's kind of a weird way to get into the whole love God with all you have and love your neighbor as yourself thing, right? Like, okay, we get it that God's one. We don't worship a bunch of gods. We worship one God. We get that. But what does that have to do with the greatest commandment, Jesus? It sounds like he just kind of went crazy there for a second. Maybe he was stalling for a moment until he got the answer. Could, could be. Um, but, but I don't think so. What does this have to do with the question? What's, what's the greatest commandment, Jesus? What does this have to do with it? Well, um, it, it's from a, something called the Shema. Everybody say Shema. The Shema was something that faithful Jews would recite uh, a couple times a day. Everyone memorized it. Everybody knew it. Jesus knew it. His crowd knew it. Everybody knew the Shema. And it came from three passages of Scripture found in the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. Deuteronomy 11, 13 through 21. And Numbers 15, 37 through 41. So 20 verses in all, and they would recite this. And Shema, the word, is, is a Hebrew word that literally means to hear. It's the first word of the Shema, hear, O Israel, okay? So it, Shema literally means hear, but it's less, it's less about hearing with your ears and more about obeying. And we do the same thing in English, right? When, when our kids aren't obeying, we say, you're not hearing me, right? What do we mean? You're not doing what I'm saying, right? You need to listen to me. What are we saying to our kids when we say that? We're saying you need to obey. You need to mind. You need to do what I'm asking you to do. It's the same thing here. This idea in Hebrew is that there's obedience involved. There's, there's obedience. And so the beginning of the Shema in Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, says this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So they would recite this every single day, twice a day. And it's about obedience, isn't it? 
It's about obedience. It's about repetition. It's about walking this thing out, living this thing out. It's about everyday discipline. Write it on your doorpost so you see it all the time. Teach it to your kids. Talk about it when you're hanging out at your house. Talk about it when you're walking to buy groceries. When you go to bed, remember the command. When you wake up in the morning, recite it. Remember it. Wear it to remember it. This is about acting it out. This is about living it out. Jesus goes, here's the most important commandment. And then he recites the beginning of the Shema, which is all about obedience. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love God with everything you have. And the Hebrew word in Deuteronomy for love, this idea of loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, it literally means to to love with actions, actions of love towards, to act lovingly towards someone or to be loyal to someone. We've all been told uh, at one time or another by someone that they love us only to have them not act it out, right? That ever happened to you? Somebody told you they loved you, but then they didn't act it out. And doesn't that prove that they don't actually love us? I mean, isn't that the the conclusion we come to? You can say you love someone, but when you don't act like you love them, then you don't really love them, right? You with me so far this morning? One person is with me. I'm just going to keep going. I'm just going to trust the Lord to reveal to the rest of you um, what we're talking about. So you may have feelings, you may have words, those are nice, but that's not love, is it? It's nice to have feelings of love towards God, but it's not enough. That's not what Jesus is talking about. That's not what the Shema is talking about. That's not what the great commandment is talking about. That, that's not what this is about. We're talking about loving action. We're talking about loving loyalty to someone. We're talking about something different here. Living this thing out. The, the neighboring church book had a statement in it uh, that went like this. You'll need to act your way into these feelings of love before you feel your way into the actions of love. You'll need to act your way into the feelings of love before you're able to feel your way into the actions of love. In other words, feelings don't always lead to action. But actions always lead to feelings. When you step out and you begin to act towards someone, you begin to serve, you begin to act lovingly towards someone, how many of you know those feelings start to happen, right? But you can have a feeling and stay on your couch all day, right? You can have a feeling and stay home all day and do nothing before you can really love your neighbor as yourself. You need to love or you need to learn how to love God with all your life with everything in your life. And and the way to love him is to obey him, to take action, follow his commands. As you do that, feelings will follow. But if you think love is just a feeling, then you'll probably never move towards action and you'll miss it. And you'll be defining love as something different than the Bible defines it. And that's a dangerous place to be, isn't it? That's a dangerous place to be. 
So in Mark 12, Jesus takes us back to the Torah, and in so doing, he narrowly defines what he's talking about when he says, love God with all that you have. There's no room for misinterpretation. Loving and obeying him are intertwined and inseparable. You can't choose one without the other. Not words you say or things you believe, but action, obedience, the way you live, the way. You know, Christians have been called a, a few different things, or were called a few different things in the Bible um, as far as something that would designate us to followers of Jesus. Jesus called us followers and disciples, right? Uh, the word Christian uh, comes from Acts 11, so it took a while, years, to get to the word Christian in Antioch. Uh, before we were called Christians uh, in the book of Acts, we were called people of the way, people of the way. And it went back to John 14, 6, where Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. I am the way. So we were people of the way. You see, the early, early Christians weren't defined by some theology or ideology. They were defined by a way of living. They were defined by action, right? Something had happened in their lives that had transformed them to the point that they changed the way they lived. They went on a different path. They went a different direction than they were going before. They were a new community, a new people moving in a new way worthy of their calling. Something was different about them. I mean, they weren't dying martyrs' deaths and, and being persecuted as a people just for a belief system or just for an ideology, or just for an organization. They were following a person who was the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus. Jesus. Jesus invites you to follow him, to change the way you live, to be like him, to imitate him. He's inviting you and me to a new way of life. That involves us making dramatic changes in the way we live because of a change in who we are. So loving God with, with all that you have and loving your neighbor as yourself, that's, that's how you're counted as people of the way. That's how you're counted as people of the way. But it's not all sacrifice and persecution and difficult changes. Suffering is absolutely a part of following Jesus, that's all over the scriptures. And so this whole idea of name it, claim it, blab it, grab it. If you follow Jesus, you got to have it kind of theology. Um, you should be writing that down. That was, <laughs> you should write that down. So we, that, that kind of name it, claim it stuff is not, is, is not in the Bible. It's just not. Um, this idea that, that you are somehow going to automatically be healthy and wealthy because you follow Jesus is just not really in the scriptures. And so that's not what we're talking about. But there is definitely, there are definitely rewards and benefits to following Christ, right? Benefits to the door of your life functioning properly on two hinges to love God with all that you have and to love your neighbor as yourself. So let's go back to Deuteronomy. I'll show you a little bit more of the Shema. I read the first part to you. Look at the second part. It's in Deuteronomy 11. Deuteronomy 11, starting in verse 13. It says, And if you will indeed obey my commandments that I command you today, 
to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul, he will give the rain for your land in its season, the early rain and the later rain, that you may gather in your grain and your wine and your oil. And he will give grass in your fields for your livestock, and you shall eat and be full. Verse 16. Take care lest your heart be deceived. And you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. Then then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you. And he will shut up the heavens so that there will be no rain. And the land will yield no fruit. And you will perish quickly off the good land that the Lord is giving you. So it's clear here in the first part of this verse, the first part of this section of the Shema, that there are rewards, right? There are rewards. There are benefits to loving God with all of all that you have. Um, not just feelings, but action, loyalty, obedience to his commandments. And they're, they're physical as well as spiritual. And so he gives the rain, rain to quench the thirst of your fields and rain to quench the thirst of your soul. He gives the crops and, and food to satisfy the hunger of your physical body. And he says, I'll satisfy the hunger of your spirit too through, through me, through, through God. And so it's, it's spiritual and it's physical. He'll give you enough so that you'll, you'll be with him, you'll follow him, you'll have satisfaction in life. But, but then there's a warning here, isn't there? Like in this text, there's this warning. We could stop after verse 15. We could put this on a wall in our house, post it on Facebook, get a t-shirt that talks about this, De- Deuteronomy eleven fifteen all the way to there, but doesn't go into 16. We could do that, but we would be in error, I think, because there's a, there's a warning here that we would be missing. But we do that with a, another real famous passage, um, Jeremiah 29, 11. Have you ever heard this passage before? For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for good and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Anybody ever heard that verse before? Uh, yeah, no, yeah, sure, you've heard it. Quit lying. We love that verse. We put it everywhere. God has plans for me. Future, hope, good things, right? God has plans for me. It's all good. But the context of that verse is that God has directly placed the people of Israel in captivity that would last 70 years. That's that's what's happening in Jeremiah 29. I don't know if you realize that. So this verse, Jeremiah 29, 11, includes 70 years of being slaves, 70 years of captivity. And so the meaning of Jeremiah 29, 11 is not God's going to make everything fine in my life and God's got something awesome. Everything's going to be just fine. I'm going to have a good life. The meaning is even in the suffering and punishment God may send me, he is good, right? He gives me a future and a hope. He is not evil even when he sends suffering my way. Even if it never leaves me, he is good and he has a future and he has a hope. For me. You see how that's different? Sometimes we just need to keep reading, right? Don't stop with the one verse you see on Facebook or wherever you're seeing your verses. Keep reading. Read the whole chapter. Read the whole book and you'll see a better understanding of it. So it is with this verse in 
Deuteronomy 11. If we stop at Deuteronomy 11:15, we miss the warning. The warning in verse 16 and following is that if you don't do this, if you don't love God with all that you have, every part of your life, every desire of your heart, every fiber of your soul, every dime in your bank account, and, and instead you use those things given to you by God for God to worship yourself or other gods or materialism or whatever else, if you do that, you will be destroyed. You will perish off of the good land that God has given you. That's what it said, right? It's a warning. And listen, beloved, it's not because God hates you. It's because he loves you. It's a warning to to keep you from getting hurt. It's the parent telling their three-year-old not to run full speed next to the pool, right? It's the guardrail on the edge of a cliff keeping you from going over. It's not to take life away from you. It's to preserve your life, to get you to life. God's going, just trust me. I made this whole thing up. I'm the one who created the world. If you'll live this way, if you'll live out your love for me in every area of your life, you'll have life. You'll receive life. You'll be lining yourself up with the way I created the universe to work. But if you don't, If you think somehow you know better, your culture and time know better, your science knows better, your education somehow makes you know better than me, then I will destroy you. It's a father saying, this is the way it is. If you run next to the pool, you'll fall in and you'll drown. I'm not trying to keep you from life. I'm trying to preserve your life. This is just the way it is. So love God with everything you have. That's the first part of the great commandment. And there are rewards to that for sure. But what about the second part? Are there rewards to loving your neighbor as yourself? Because Jesus kind of takes this uh, a a step further than the Shema, right? And Jesus kind of ramped everything up. Uh, all the time. A good example of this is Matthew 5, where Jesus goes, hey, you've heard it said that you shouldn't murder people. I'm saying if you have hate in your heart towards your brother, you got a problem, right? You're in sin. He's basically saying, don't murder him. That's good. But if you want to, you're still sinning, right? And then he says, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. Don't sleep around on your spouse. That's good. But I'm saying, Jesus says, I'm saying, if you have lust in your heart towards someone who's not your spouse, you're already in sin. You see how he's kind of ramping it up? He's going, hey, this is where you were. Here's where I'm taking it. It's not taking the law away. It's ramping it up to the next level. This time, he doesn't stop at love God with all you have. If he stopped there, you and I could go home today and call it good, right? We could say, oh, Jesus said the greatest commandment was to love God. Check. I love God. I love loving God. I love God all the time. Look at my my wall. I got crosses on my wall. I love God. I wear a cross necklace. I love God. I got a bumper sticker. I love God. I'm nailing this love God thing. But he doesn't stop there, does he? He says, don't just love God. Love your neighbor as yourself. Two hinges. The door doesn't work with just one. 
Jesus said everything in the Old Testament hangs on these two commands, both of them. Loving God always translates into loving your neighbor. Love always goes next door. So, what are the rewards to loving your neighbor as yourself? Well, Luke 10 is another time the great commandment is recorded in the Bible. A lawyer comes up to Jesus and says, what can I do to get into eternal life? What can I do to have eternal life? And Jesus just turns the question around on him. He goes, well, what do you think you need to do to gain eternal life? And, and the guy answers with the great commandment. It's Luke 10. And, and he says, love, your, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then love your neighbor as yourself. He answers Jesus this way. And then look at how Jesus answered him back. It's Luke 10, 28. It'll be on the screen. He says, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Do this, and you will live. And that's a promise that Jesus longs to deliver on. Do this. Love God with all you have, and love your neighbor as yourself. Do this, and you will live. Remember, the question was, what do I have to do to get eternal life? Another way to translate this is, what do I have to do to get all of life? What do I have to do to get everything there is to get out of life? Like Jesus, in John 10, 10, you said that you came to bring life and life to the full, right? Life abundantly. So what do I have to do to get that life? What do I have to do to get life abundantly? Love God with all you have and love your neighbor as yourself. The door leading to life hangs on these two hinges. And the rewards are spiritual, sure, but they're also practical. So what are some practical rewards to living out the great commandment and loving your neighbor as yourself? Well, first, it's a safer way to live, right? To love your neighbor as yourself is a safer way to live. In a book called Better Together, Robert Putnam writes his findings that the more neighbors who, who know one another by name, the fewer crimes a neighborhood as a whole will suffer. He says, a child born in a place whose residents volunteer, vote, and have friendships with one another, spend time with one another, is less likely to be born underweight, less likely to drop out of school, less likely to be killed or to kill than that same child, no richer or poorer, born in another place whose residents don't do those things. And there are city leaders all over our country who have recognized that friendships among neighbors make the city a better place, make the city a safer place. They've started, these city leaders have started neighboring initiatives to try to get neighbors to get to know each other. First of all, isn't that sad <laughs> that we don't know each other enough that city leaders are having to try to arrange it like a blind date? Oh, hey, I don't know if you knew this, but you live next to this guy Rick, meet Jim. <laughs> He's your neighbor. Let's be friends. That's weird, right? But think about that. City leaders are trying to get people to neighbor better, to love their neighbor as yourself. So fruitful is the command of God to love your neighbor as yourself that non-believing city leaders are trying to get non-believing residents to do it. Isn't that crazy? So fruitful is this idea that we love our neighbor as ourselves that non-believing people are like, let's do this thing. 
So it's a safer way to live. It's also a healthier way to live. People with a social connection to their neighbors are healthier. Even sick people with a social connection to their neighbors are healthier. Here's what I mean. When someone is discharged by the hospital, if they don't go back to a neighborhood that they know people, they love people, they are loved by people, if they don't go home to that, then it dramatically increases their chance of being readmitted, statistics say. It's safer, it's healthier, it's also a more hopeful way to live. When you know and you do life with your neighbors, it increases your hopefulness. The trials you face, the difficulties, big and small, are handled better because you've got this support system. If you live life in isolation or only being friends with people who live away from you, it's not as good. You don't have this local support system. You can feel hopeless as you deal with problems, getting laid off, having to work extra hours. What am I going to do with the kids or looking for, for help in some other way, dealing with car trouble, whatever it is. So there's hope in doing life Jesus' way, right? There's hope in doing life Jesus' way. On the flip side of that, living out the great commandment is a more merciful way to live. The idea here is is just that as you get to know your neighbors, you get to know their struggles. You get to know their hurts. You get to know their history. And maybe you lift your head from focusing on your little bubble of trouble and you look around and you see what other people are going through, right? And this is interesting because you and I are called by God, commanded by God in the scriptures to live lives of mercy. So how are we going to fulfill that commandment if we don't know anybody, right? How are we going to fulfill that commandment if we don't know our neighbors? How can we be merciful if we don't even know them? We're supposed to help people, give generously to people in need, pray for people. But how are we going to do that if we don't know them? You see, neighboring, like Jesus is talking about neighboring, it it makes showing mercy like we're supposed to show mercy possible. Without that, there's no way to show mercy to people that you're around. And then the last one, reward for loving your neighbor as yourself. It's a, it's a more Christ-like way to live. And that's, that's the whole thing here, isn't it? As Jesus followers, we're supposed to be Jesus imitators. That's what it means to be a disciple, to do what the rabbi, the teacher, the master does. We are disciples of Jesus. He left heaven, moved into our neighborhood, and he became our neighbor when he was on earth in bodily form. Jesus took time for people. He knew names, hurts, hopes. He prayed for people. He had meals with people. He encouraged people. He was there for people who had just lost a loved one. He was there for the least of these. He invited tons of people to walk with him, talk with him, to do ministry with him. This is how he lived. He knew the people around him. He loved them in real, tangible ways. So if being like Jesus is the goal, and I hope that's the goal, right? If being like Jesus is the goal, I can't even accomplish it without loving my neighbors. I can't be like Jesus and not love my neighbors. It doesn't make any sense. So the great commandment, both hinges on the door. It takes effort, sacrifice, giving. But if you're not getting life out of loving your neighbor as yourself and loving God with all that you have, you're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. 
If the great commandment is two hinges on a door, then this door absolutely lives, leads to life. No question about it. I mean, Jesus said, do this and you'll live. He's not trying to take life from you with this. He's trying to lead you to life. So the question for you today is, is do you want life? Do you want to live? Do you want all there is to get out of life? Do you want eternal life? Of course you do, right? If you don't, you don't understand the question. Uh, Of course you do. Do this, Jesus says, and you'll have it. Do this and you'll have it. Love God with all that you have and love your neighbor as yourself. It's not optional or or a suggestion. This isn't Jesus saying, hey, if you got time, you should think about this. So don't be like your kids and say something like, yeah, I'll maybe do that. Yeah, I'll get to loving my neighbor as myself and loving Jesus with all that I am after this busy season. I'll get to it another time when I'm not too busy. Don't make Jesus say what you've said to your kids in that situation. I wasn't really asking. If you love me, you'll follow my commandments. You'll keep my commandments. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your grace and your mercy that even as we feel conviction that we are not following your commandments, that your grace abounds. Grace not meaning that we don't need to worry about it, that, that we, don't, we can just keep living the way we're living, but grace in that you come alongside us and you help us live the way you want us to live, that you give us the power to do so, that in our weakness, you are made strong. We're thankful for that, Jesus. We're thankful for that. Lord, I pray that the grace that you've shown us in the cross would translate into grace shown to other people around us, that would translate into looking around and going, God placed me here. God put me here now for a reason, to show this grace that he's shown me to my neighbors. So I pray, Lord, that you would speak clearly to us today. God, that you would challenge us, but that you would also encourage us. That living this way, that doing life this way, that following the great commandment to love you with all that we have and love our neighbor as ourselves, that that there's rewards to this thing that you give us this commandment not to take life from us or put a a burden we can't possibly carry on us, but rather you, you give us this commandment so that we'll get to life. You want us to have life. We thank you, God, for being a good God who knows far better than we know, who sees much farther than we can see. Let us follow you, Lord. Let us lean on you and not our own understanding. With your eyes closed and your heads bowed, you're just asking the Lord, what? What is it, God, that you want to speak to me? What's a specific thing that you're trying to get into my heart and into my mind today? Not what, what should I tell my friend or whatever, but, but what is it that you're dealing with me about? Just ask the Lord that right now in your own words. As you're there, maybe you're in here and when we talked about loving God with all that you have, being the top hinge on this door. And when I talked about how receiving the grace of God, there's this byproduct and it's loving God with all your heart and loving your neighbor as yourself that when we talked about that, you, you just, you're thinking, I'm not sure that I've given my life to Christ. Or maybe you know, 
Maybe I know I haven't given my life to God. I'm just here with a friend or whatever. And I know that I haven't given my life over to God. I know that I haven't even tried to love him with my whole life. Maybe you're in here and, and you're, you're going, I'm trying to love God with my whole life. I mean, I think I'm, I think I'm in. I think I'm one of his. But there are these few areas or maybe just this one area in my life that I haven't given over to him. And when Jesus is talking about all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, I'm not there. I've got some things that I'm holding back. No matter which one of those you are, I just want to give you a moment just to make a decision for Christ right now, to give your life over fully to him. If you've tried and you can't give this one area over to him, just pray right now and ask the Holy Spirit to give you the power to do that. Ask God to help you relinquish that control. Ask God to lead you to life. If you've never given your heart over to Christ, never submitted to him, there's no magic incantation to make this right. It's just you being honest before God in your own words. Just tell him how you feel. Tell him where you're at. Tell him that you need him. Commit to submit to him, to give him everything. And ask for his help in doing that. Ask him to make you a new creation. For everyone in here, my prayer for you is that, is that you would take this seriously. I'm praying that you would make some decisions for Christ to love your neighbor as yourself, to love him with all that you have. Lord, help us do that. Help us do that, Jesus. In Jesus' name.